time looking in the Bible together, and we've arrived at uh, Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, which I'll read in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, because you'll be able to follow on the screen, on the wall, uh, the, the different references from the Bible that we look at. Today, um, we will begin in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. It says this. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph uh, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So I think since October, we've been looking through um, the final section, if you like, of of Mark's gospel, the good news that he records uh, from Mark chapter 11 all the way through. And uh, more recently, obviously, we've been in chapter uh, 15, which is unrelentingly awful in looking at the, the sufferings of Christ. Um, when Tom was uh, preaching last week, we looked at the, the death of Jesus. Uh, as with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. It's, it's awful and yet also uh, awe-inspiring at the same time. And it was a few weeks back we, uh, we considered um, what Paul says in Philippians. He says in, in chapter 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, uh, which we looked at at the time. Well, yes, obviously, we, we, love, the, we love the resurrection and power. Uh, often we might shrink back from and not necessarily want to draw close to um, the sufferings of Jesus, but that's what we've been doing in these past few weeks. We've looked at the, the good news and the light that is shining through in the midst of Jesus' sufferings. But right here, we're at the burial of Jesus. His sufferings are over. He's not yet been resurrected. So how, how is this part of the good news? How does this encourage the believers amongst us, perhaps even the skeptics amongst us as well? It could be that in some respect, Mark, in recounting the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, inserts this here as almost just an opportunity to have a bit of a breather. It's been so intense as we've witnessed Jesus' uh, sufferings. It's going to be so dramatic and wonderful and awesome to arrive at the resurrection. Spoiler alert for next week. What are we to make of the burial? Well, this is not just Mark filling space. It's not just a breather or a break or a pause in the narrative. 
This is part of the good news. This is part of the gospel. And this is fuel for our discipleship. So if you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, this passage here is fuel for the flame of your passion for his name. It's not really the season for open fires now, maybe campfires um, in the evening, bonfires, but um, kind of go back a few weeks. Uh, we've got an open fire at home. You kind of put a bit of kindling into the fireplace, um, ignite it, get the flame established. At that point, add, start adding some more substantial fuel to really build up uh, proper heat from this fire. Uh, obviously, as the fuel is burnt, the heat remains, but the, it dies down. The, the flames aren't as strong. And think, well, we still want to be warm, so let's get another log and put it on. And there's so much heat in those embers, even though the flame's not there, the log takes and woof, the, the flames emerge bright and strong. Uh, again, you might look at something and think, how is this going to burn? But put it in and woof, up it goes. And for those who are um, disciples in Jesus, this passage is another piece of, uh, piece of fuel. You might think, how is this going to burn? Oh, it burns. And it will encourage us as we, as we look at it. Perhaps for some who are unsure, skeptical, have questions about this gospel, about this good news. Actually, perhaps even in looking at this passage today, it will be the ignition, the spark um, that, that gets, the fire, gets the fire going. So this passage is fuel to encourage us to be convinced, be faithful, and be bold. Yeah. Why do we need to be convinced? What does it mean to be convinced? It means being being sure, being clear, being confident, knowing for definite. What do we need to know for definite? That Jesus really did die. Because the question can remain for some a, a niggle of uncertainty. Did Jesus really die? Can we be sure? And some suggest uh, a different idea or theory. The swoon theory. Have you ever swooned? That's like something that happened 100 years ago. But today we faint, or we black out, or we pass out, or we lose consciousness. That's what it is to swoon. Did Jesus merely black out in the midst of such tremendous and awful suffering? Did he lose consciousness but not actually die? just appeared that he'd... He, he died. And so he is taken down from the cross. They think he's dead. So they wrap him up in a linen cloth and they set him in a tomb and they roll this stone across the entrance to the tomb on Friday just before evening because that's when the Sabbath started. And then perhaps at some point on Friday night or Saturday, Jesus, in the coolness of the tomb, is revived. He comes to himself. He finds that's where he is. And he recovers. He musters up the energy to unwrap himself and to maneuver himself off the shelf and then to stand, collect himself, to move back the stone 
from the inside, step out and present himself as transformed. I'm here. See, here's where they put the nails. See the wounds. It's really me. Is that what happened? That would be the suggestion of those who propose the, the swoon theory, that Jesus fainted, came round, and then presented himself. What's the evidence? Well, let's consider what the centurion experienced, what he said. And we, you would have touched on him last week when Tom was preaching. So in verse 37, in recounting the death of Jesus, we're told there, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion, not heard much about him before, but when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. It was amazing. The centurion has witnessed three hours of darkness. He's been stood there watching the crucifixion as earthquakes were taking place. But it is seeing how Jesus breathed his last that draws him to conclude, surely this man was the son of God. And why is the centurion even there? Well, it's his job to make sure the soldiers did their job. And what was the soldier's job? It's to carry out the sentence that Pilate has passed down, crucify him. So if something goes wrong, if if this execution is not carried out properly, it's on the centurion's head. He's experienced, he's done this before many times, and he's in charge. He has seen death. He knows what it looks like. He knows that Jesus breathed his last and that was him dying. So for the centurion, there's no doubt. So when news comes to Pilate, who gave the sentence but didn't necessarily witness the execution, when news comes to to Pilate, he's gone. He, He is dead. Pilate is initially, he is surprised. Well, why is that? Because it could take days for somebody to die on the cross. We're told in another of the Gospels that Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus decided, or Jesus realized, it is finished now. I've completed the work that my Father sent me to perform, so into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave himself, he gave it up. He was dying in an unusual way. So Pilate's surprised. He's already died. The Jewish authorities wanted to make sure we can't have them hanging there, dying or dead, when the Sabbath starts, and the Sabbath starts on Friday evening. Um, We don't need to go into the details now, but so Pilate is surprised. What's Pilate's response then? He asks the centurion. He he checks, he makes sure. The the, The centurion is sure, and so Pilate releases the body. What's Mark doing? Mark is stressing he's really dead. He really died. It wasn't just for appearance sake. There's no deception here. This is, this is real. So Mark, Mark says in, uh, in verse 43, just see what he, um, he emphasizes. Joseph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. All the way through, just emphasizing the point, Jesus has died. He's, he is definitely no longer alive. And this is helpful for the skeptics. Now, we live in an age which encourages skepticism. Uh, increasingly, we live in a world of fake news. Um, some might say, actually, I don't believe it happened unless I see the pictures and the videos. But actually, now when we see pictures and videos, we can't trust that they're real, or they're really reporting real events. And this was demonstrated humorously in a way, um, I don't know why this one grabbed my attention, but uh, a, a, a video clip did the cyber rounds, and um, it was of a lady reporting, I think, on the, on the weather or something, uh, by a seawall. So she's talking to the camera beside this seawall, seaside somewhere, and uh, it's quite stormy conditions. A massive wave comes in at high tide, presumably, crashes against the side of the wall, sprays up all over her and totally drenches her, and in that spray is a big fish that hits her in the face. And it's like, oh my goodness, would you believe it? that that could happen. Isn't it amazing? Well, I've seen the video, so it must have happened. That's genuine. And it comes out later, uh, and there were telltale signs within the video. They're saying, obvious, it's a stitch-up. Someone is stood behind the camera with a big fish from Morrison's, and when the wave comes in and smashes on the seawall, timed to almost perfection, throws the fish so that it hits her. Why have you spent your time doing that? Well, to get loads of hits and loads of likes and loads of views. And we're entertained by it, and it almost doesn't matter whether it was real or not. It's just funny. But it's fake. And so because of things like that, which I'm not sending up entirely, but because of things like that, we are skeptical. We doubt. Is this real? Well, look, we we have this before us uh, to convince us of, of evidence. That's real. Jesus is real. He is the Son of God, and he did really die to convince those who doubt. Even his own disciples were were doubters to begin with, but they became uh, convinced by evidence. And it's great encouragement, too, for for believers, that for those of us who are following Jesus, we, we do believe to be utterly convinced of the death of Jesus. What happens if we're not? Well, the good news, well, there wouldn't be any good news if Jesus swooned. But our message or our faith would be this, if, if that's what happened. The good news, folks, is this. If you go away to a lonely, dark place to find yourself, unwrap yourself, try and disentangle yourself, try to recover from that which has wounded you and uh, our own sin, and and then if if only we can just get up and manoeuvre ourselves to the door and roll the stone away and come out, we can say, look, I'm transformed. I'm okay. I've been changed. I've done it. But that's not the good news, is it? The good news is Jesus died. 
And when he died by faith, now I know I was united with him in his death. So I'm not now one who's just trying to do it myself and get myself presentable. It's, I've changed. An old life has gone. And it's no longer there. The person I was is dead and buried. This is the significance of, of baptism by immersion. I went down. I was buried. I've been united with him. Look, let's just turn to Romans. Um, He'll say it a bit more clearly. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul writes this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Buried. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. How is it that we live a new life? By being united to Christ. And so then in the sense that he died to sin, so did I, and I'm raised to life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So that's the good news. If we don't believe that, what we're trying to do is just improve ourselves, revive ourselves, recover ourselves, do it all ourselves. But we've got to recognize, no, that's not the way we were saved. Paul can write, I've been crucified with Christ. His great love for me. Well, that's, what's, that's the message of the gospel. We're, we're united with him. That's how we kill sin. That's how we deal with sin, by recognizing that this is what's happened. It's not me trying to do it, it's by faith. This is what's happened. I'm, I've, the old me died. Now I've got this body of sin that might try to uh, be susceptible to sin still, or, and I can be susceptible to temptation, but my way to conquer that is say, look, the old me's gone now. This is the new me by the grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not under sin, I'm not under law, I'm not obliged to it anymore. I don't have to. Because, I, because with Christ, I died. So let's be convinced. We've got no good news if we're not convinced that Jesus really died and that that's real for us. Let's be convinced. Let's be faithful. Let's be loyal. Let's be consistent. What do we see here? Who was with Jesus at this point? Jesus, in chapter 3 of Mark, all the way back there in verse 14, it says he appointed the twelve that they might be with him. The twelve are nowhere to be seen at this point. They do not yet realize why the events surrounding this time are such good news. We can forgive them for that. They hadn't had it yet revealed to them that it's the death of Jesus is good news and that the resurrection would follow. So they have fled. They're scattered They've disappeared. They are not with him at this point. Who is with Jesus? Who does Mark highlight? He highlights women. In verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. Later on in verse 47, we're told there, kind of bookending the passage, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. They're there. They're with Jesus in his death and in his burial. We could be forgiven 
reading through Mark's gospel up until this point, to think that the kingdom of God was a very male affair. Jesus chose the 12. Yeah. And they went and they did all the stuff. He's like, look, you look here. Who's with Jesus? Who's following Jesus at this point? It's women. Now, at this point, aware that perhaps he hasn't said a load. Now, he has said some stuff, hasn't he? He's certainly shown us how Jesus relates. We've seen Jesus stop in a crowded place because he just felt power go out from him. Why did power come out from him? Well, because there was a, a woman who's been broken for 12 years. She's untouchable ceremonially, but she's pushed through the crowd and by faith she's touched Jesus' garment, believing that she would be healed as a result, and she was. She wants to slide away in the crowd. But Jesus, someone touch me. He wants to have a conversation with her. He wants to do more than just heal. He wants to give dignity and honor to this lady, to know that she's important in the kingdom of God. Jairus, important synagogue ruler, mate, you can wait. I need to find her. Where are you? Where is she? That's Jesus. And we've seen him uh, deliver a uh, young daughter uh, of the Syrophoenician woman. He said, even the dogs get to get the crumbs under your table. For such an answer, you can go. Your daughter is healed. And then more recently, we've seen Jesus defend the lady who broke the alabaster jar and poured perfume out on his body. What was that? The first act to prepare for his burial that we're reading about right now. Everyone's laying into her. This shouldn't have been done. This money should have been sold and given to the poor. He defends. Be quiet. What she's done is a beautiful thing and it's in honor of me. So we've seen all of these examples of Jesus honoring women. But even that could sound chauvinistic. Jesus helped them. Actually, Mark right here casts a backward glance and says, well, what you need to know is, all the way through, from Galilee onwards, there's this big group of women amongst all of the disciples. Disciples too. And not just receiving, but supporting. So in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had, had come up with him to Jerusalem, uh, uh, were also there. So we, what we see is their impressive loyalty to the Savior. What did they do? They were watching. Doesn't sound much. But when you consider this, their part to play is amazing. Every gospel preacher since that weekend has preached what the women saw. How do we know that Jesus was so reviled and insulted? Because the women were there. How do we know the soldiers divided up his clothes by lot? Because the women were there. How do we know what Jesus said from the cross? Because the women were there. How do we know what time he died and how it was that he breathed his last? Or if we could find a centurion, perhaps he would fill us in too. But we know it because they were there. Which of Jesus' followers were consistent in the crisis? They were there at his crucifixion, they were there at his death, they were there at his burial, and they were there at the resurrection. It's Mary and Mary and some of the other women as well. We have a clear timeline of the original Easter weekend because of their faithful loyalty 
to the Saviour. And we can get tripped up as believers by thinking it's all about the twelve, it's all about the men, it's all about the leaders. And along with the twelve apostles, we can think, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Assuming they must have published a book and be really well known and have high profile. The greatest disciple in the universe to us is unknown. We don't know their name. Why? Because they're faithfully, consistently, loyally following Jesus, serving him in bleak times as well as happy ones. We celebrate what we think is conspicuous success and we honour people of profile. What God does is celebrate faithfulness and people of diligent, loyal service. Let's just get it into our spirits again. Otherwise we can slip into that apostle-like mindset. Can I sit on your left and right and your glory? You don't know what you're asking. The greatest is the one who serves. The first will be last. The last will be served. Don't spend your energy trying to get the badge of honour, the ministry label, the this or that. If God brings prominence in some way or another, that's okay. But it might be gone tomorrow and it doesn't actually matter. Honour the Lord with faithfulness because it's his name we're wanting to glorify. Let's be convinced His death is real. Let's be faithful. Let's also be bold. Let's be brave. Let's be courageous. Let's allow this passage to fan godly bravery into flame. Why? Who else is highlighted in this passage? Along with the women. Well, when times are dark and disciples are falling away and prominent followers have disappeared... We can jump to the conclusion, God is on the back foot, nothing's happening of any significance, God's somehow inactive and caught off guard. No, it's just simply not true. Look, in times of darkness, when disciples are falling away, what's God doing? He's raising up a Joseph. Just the right person, at just the right time, with just the right heart to fulfill God's purposes. Even before we're aware there's a problem, what on earth is going to happen to the body of Jesus? It's the property of the Roman state. Right at this point, along with the other criminals, there's no honourable burial. He will just be thrown into a mass grave. That's it. Refuse. Before we are even aware there is a problem... However dark the season might appear, God has already gone ahead and prepared his solution to fulfill his purposes. And it's interesting, he often does it through a Joseph. God's people are starving in Canaan because there's a famine and a drought. How is Israel and his sons and daughters, how are they going to survive? Well, God's already gone ahead and sent Joseph to Egypt so that when they arrive just the right person just the right time with just the right heart it might not have started like that but he cooperated with God and when the, when the moment came he chose grace and he had just the right heart he provided food for a nation wow and when Mary conceives the son of God by the Holy Spirit And the whole community was just going to jump to the conclusion she's done something she shouldn't out of wedlock. They're not going to look kindly on that. She is in a vulnerable position. 
how is she going to survive? How is this going to work through? Well, God has gone ahead and he's prepared a Joseph with a dream. Joseph chose grace. says he considered, what could this possibly mean? Now he was, an ang- he was angry, he was stirred up. But God spoke in a dream and he resolved and he heard God and he chose grace. You know, I'm here, just the right time, just the right person, with just the right heart, in a dark time, protects. So here, not only do we have a Joseph there at the birth, holding the body of Jesus, we have a Joseph there at his death, holding the body of Jesus and preparing him hastily, because of the Sabbath, which starts in the evening, to prepare. This is how God buried his son. He went ahead and he rose up a Joseph. He's not mentioned in the Bible before and he's not mentioned in the Bible afterwards, but all four gospel writers mention Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew mentions that he's a rich man, a disciple of Jesus. Luke mentions that he is good and righteous. John mentions that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly out of fear. And we can understand why, because Mark tells us, and all the others tell us, he is a member of the council. He is part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the group who've just condemned Jesus to die. But I think it's Luke who says that Joseph hadn't consented to their decision. That could mean that he wasn't there at the trial in the middle of the night, which was hastily convened. Or if he was there, he didn't agree with the decision. But before now, he's kept quiet. Mark's kind of shorthand is to say that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. That is a positive expression to say he'd understood that Jesus is the king. He's waiting for the kingdom of God, and he's realized it's here in Jesus. So we don't know for how long, we don't know when exactly. We know from John that he's associated with Nicodemus. Maybe they'd had a few conversations late in the night, but he's come to faith. Jesus is God's king. And so he realizes that now actually is the moment. I can't watch this happen and not step out from the shadows and nail my colours to the mask. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe that he's God's son. To say that he went boldly to Pilate is an awesome understatement. He was taking his life in his own hands. Pilate's the man who has just crucified him as king of the Jews. There's no king but Caesar, but he is the king of the Jews. And here comes Joseph to say, I would like to honour the king of the Jews with a respectable burial. Would you release the body to me? And he was a man of wealth, and he was a man of influence, and he wasn't within the Sanhedrin, and perhaps that gave him, um, meant that Pilate gave him a bit more attention. If it was one of the fishermen, I just think it would just get, "What, what are you talking about, be gone. But he's a man of means, and he's a man of connection. He's a man of reputation. And maybe that's why he's struggled to come out before now as a follower of Jesus. So he took courage. I, this could cost me my life. This could cost me my reputation. The Sanhedrin are probably still there because they want to make sure that 
no bodies are left on the crosses when the Sabbath starts. So they could even be in the same room as Joseph arrives and says, can I have his body? I want to bury him well. He's going to bury him like a king in a, in his, in a tomb, in his own tomb that has never been used before. That's a burial fit for a king. You don't just give up. For the respectable Jew, you don't give up land easily. Burial was important. Burial within or just outside Jerusalem was really important. So he's got this resource. He's got his tomb and he's going to give it up to the Savior. So he's coming clean. Whatever has held him back before, he realizes now's the time I'm going to acknowledge I'm going to acknowledge my faith in Jesus. Look, the sun in the sky has acknowledged Jesus and not shone. It's gone really, really dark. The earth has acknowledged the death of Jesus with earthquakes. Death has acknowledged Jesus and people have come out of their tombs. And the temple has acknowledged Jesus as the curtain has ripped in two. And now Joseph is acknowledging Jesus. I'm coming for him. I'm stepping out of the shadows And he's honouring Jesus right at the point where apparently it is completely impossible for Jesus to help him. Jesus is not doing anything at this point on the earth. So pretty awesome boldness on the part of Joseph. And I believe that he was doing what he had in his heart to do. Maybe he was aware of, of, of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, that actually his actions would fulfill Scripture prophesied years, hundreds of years earlier about the suffering servant where it says in Isaiah 53 verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's what Joseph did. He did what was on his heart, like the Marys They weren't like taken over robotically to do God's will. They did what they had in their hearts. And God orchestrated their desire to honour Jesus. So, to conclude, let's be convinced of the death of Jesus. This is the good news, or certainly a significant portion of it. Let's allow the flames to be fanned by looking at this passage. Let's do some fanning ourselves. Let's add some fuel to the fire. Let's be faithful. Let's not covet what the world seeks after. Let's make it our aim in faithful loyalty to follow him. Who knows what will come of it? But actually, in the example of these women, we see what God achieves by just simple, even painful, faithfulness. And let's be bold. Let's not be or stay a secret believer. I mean, we're here, aren't we, in a public meeting. It's easy to be a follower here. But are are we keeping it secret? Are we shrinking back? Let's be Bold, let's take courage ourselves. If we need to, let's come out from the shadows. Nail our colours to the mast. I believe in Jesus. I follow him. 
And let's see that in dark times or in the midst of a crisis, God is powerfully at work. We might think, well, we've seen the amazing sufferings of Jesus. We, we, we know the resurrection is to come, but we're kind of in this little just dead time. No, there is no dead time in God's kingdom. It's like he's at work all the time. Whatever we think, whatever we're aware of, God's at work. Let's be convinced. Let's be faithful. Let's be bold. God can fulfill his purposes through disciples just seeking to honor him, coming out from hiding, and putting him first. Amen? Amen. We'll we'll worship God together. I'll just...